Gator Country, man, Andrew Spivey here with Ethan. Ethan, we're back, man. Um, those numbers. That was Urban Meyer's uh, stopwatch on uh, on on Wednesday in uh, at Pro. Yeah, some of those times seemed rather generous, to put it lightly. I mean, Marco Wilson, he, he's fast. He's not four three five fast, and Kyle Pitts probably more of a upper four four lower four fives guy, but. You know, that's, I guess, the advantage of not having an NFL combine this year is you don't have those laser to time you, so they can kind of, I guess, rig it a little bit to get the numbers how they want them to be. Yeah, and we'll talk about it more here in a second and, and talk about why. I, I, I don't know your take. You, you may be for it, but why I think pro days are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll spoil my take here in a second and just say uh, I think pro days are, are stupid. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm one of those people who says film doesn't lie, and and I think that's the case. I mean, um, but we do have to talk about what happened out there and the 80-inch wingspan for Kyle Pitts, the best in the last 20 years, breaking DK Metcalf's record. I mean, this this is this is Kyle Pitts here. Let me uh, let me get this. Six foot five, 245 pounds, 83-inch wingspan, a 4.44. And a thirty-three point five inch vertical. That that'll make you a lot of money. Did you invent him on Madden, Ethan? <laughs> I, I don't even know if you could create a player even that good on Madden. I mean, I think Mullen probably described it the best way yesterday, where he said if he were a wide receiver, he'd be one of the best wide receivers in the draft, and as a tight end, he's one of the best tight ends in the draft. And so he's basically getting two players in one with him. Exactly, and I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. And and, and you know, uh, somebody said, well, he's he's going to play only wide receiver in in the NFL. Cool. Who are you matching him up against? Yeah. You're not matching him up against the corner. Yeah, I don't understand why that's an insult to people. Like to say that he doesn't play as a traditional tight end enough. Well, that's because he's good enough to play out wide. It's not because he's not capable of doing it. Right. When's Rom Garkowski ever played like a true tight end? No, he's never. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Vernell, uh, uh, Vernon Davis. I don't know why I call him Vernell. Vernon Davis, one of the best tight ends ever. He didn't play like a traditional tight end. Uh, Antonio Gates, he didn't play like a traditional yeah. tight end. So I, again, why is it an insult? I, I don't. I mean, I think if you're Kyle Pitts, you probably want to be labeled as a receiver because there's more money there, uh, and and that's a whole different discussion as to why a receiver gets paid more money than a tight end. If you catch touchdowns, who cares? Uh, but uh, not only did uh, Kyle Pitts have a big day, but Kadarius Tony and, and I'm going to say this, and, and I may get blasted for this, but uh, I've known Kadarius since he was a sophomore in high school. Kadarius Tony is super fast. Kadarius Tony is very electric. I am surprised, though, he ran the 437-439 that was reported. I thought he was a low 4-4 guy. And I know that's just a couple of seconds, and I know some people are going to say, well, he's really fast. He is really fast. But for him to run a 4-3-9 was really good for him. Um, and then have that 39-inch vertical was good as well. Uh, Kadarius did nothing to hurt himself on Wednesday. No, I mean, he's he's probably going to get himself in the first round and maybe even top 25 or so now. He's really gone up there maybe the, what, the third or fourth receiver off the board? Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> – I was I was joking with someone yesterday. It, Jamar Chase, uh, Waddle, 
Devontae Smith, Kadarius Tony, and uh, the receiver from uh, uh, LSU, the other receiver from LSU. Uh, uh, my the name is the name is slipping my mind here. So you got those five oh, wide Terrence receivers. Marshall. Terrence Marshall, there you go. Those five wide receivers. I don't think you can go wrong with any of those five in the first round. No, you you really can't. I think it's pretty clear that Jamar Chase is going to be the first one, and then Devontae Smith will be number two, and then really three through five could be gone in any order, really. What what yesterday surprised you, Ethan, at a pro day? Was there anything in particular? I mean, obviously, it's a, I call it the underwear Olympics because that's basically yeah. what it is. But yeah. uh, anything that maybe stood out with Kyle Trask five flat, what stood out to you? I think what stood out to me the most was I did not realize that Marco Wilson was as athletic as he was. I was not expecting the ninth best vertical jump or what would have tied the ninth best vertical jump in the history of the NFL combine in a sub four four forty if the numbers are correct. He just always seemed to be a guy to me that his first couple of years had good athleticism, but he relied more on technique to beat guys. But it kind of blew me away that he – was as athletic as he was and yet still somehow struggled last year, not really understanding what went wrong there. 26 reps on, on, on the bench press, too. Yeah. Uh, that, that raises a question, Ethan, and, 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 and this is something that you and I talked about a little bit through text message, um, and, and we'll get into this because I think it's a two-part question, honestly. Did Todd Grantham do Marco Wilson a disservice by not allowing him to play press man? With him being, you know, with him being as strong as he is, and then you know having the the speed and everything else, did Todd Gransom do him a disservice by not making him in, in a press man? And then the the counterpart of that is when he was one on one, a lot of times he lost the match. You know, I mean, he lost the matchup. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, see what you got. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was about to say is you have to earn the right for the coaches to trust you enough to play press man. Like a guy like Kyer Elam has earned that right because he's shown consistently that he's capable of locking down the other team's best receiver. If Mark Wilson keeps getting beat deep like he was by some no-name guy from Texas A&M that ended up tearing his ACL while catching a touchdown against him, it, you're not going to keep winding him up in press coverage. You're going to play him back and try to use some safety help. I see. I guess that's what's weird to me is you know we we, we talk about you know we, we we talk about him playing press man and you know getting that you know initial shove and and he did very well with that as a freshman but but again you know the Texas A and M play you know it's going to be embarred in our minds forever of the the receiver the walk on receiver just outmanning. Marco for that, and uh, you know, here's the thing: Do I think Marco Wilson's a better football player than he showed this year? Absolutely. But I'll also say this: Like, I don't know that some of these draft guys, you know, having him as 80th best player of the draft. Turn the tape on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's. I think Mel Kiper from ESPN had him in the top 120, which would put him like in the early fourth round or something, and that's just. There's no way you can watch his film the last two seasons and think that. There just yeah. really isn't. Yeah. Uh, a time that stood out on the negative for me was Brad Stewart, 468. Yeah. 
it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Um, a guy who that's kind of got some praise, and um, a couple people have said uh, he's a guy who's jumped into that top 120 stone for Seth. Uh, 6'8", um, had that 83-inch wingspan as well. Uh, only 25 reps on the uh, – uh, on the bench press though, uh, but ran the you know five one four if if that really means anything for an offensive lineman they don't run forty yard dashes uh, very often but still a guy who's uh, jumping up some draft boards and you know I think when we look at the new age football of, of, of tackles, you better be athletic enough and have that wingspan. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, I'm a little surprised as how far he's jumped up, um, but again he earned it this year. Turn the tape on, he had a good year. Yeah, he he's a guy like like you mentioned. He's going to pass all the physical tests you could ever want in a offensive tackle being six eight and three hundred however many pounds. He's got excellent length. I think he maybe gave up one or two sacks all year. Right. He was the one lineman that Trask didn't have to worry about running for his life <laughs> as they were protecting him. And so, I mean, I, I don't I also think maybe it's kind of a perception type thing where because the rest of the offensive line was so bad, maybe it looked him, made him look a little better by comparison, but he's definitely, I could see him getting sneaking up and getting taken in the third or fourth round, maybe. Well, and here's the thing, you know, you say, well, you know, maybe it made him look better, but also maybe we look at stone on the offensive line and say, really? Because of how bad the offensive line was, you know, maybe we look at him and, and don't give him enough credit because, you know, when the quarterback gets sacked, we automatically say the offensive line sucks. But, you know, again, like you said, Stone was doing his job. It was the other part of the, you know, the equation on the offensive line that sucks. And maybe we get to the point of, you know, blaming it on everybody and not give a guy like Stone the credit uh, that maybe he deserves uh, going forward. And, you know, I, I, I know Fred Johnson's a little bit bigger than him, but uh, I, I think Stone is a little ahead of where Fred Johnson was, and, and Fred Johnson's on the NFL team right now. Yeah, I mean, they've had some good individual linemen the last couple of years with Fred Johnson and Jawan Taylor. Stone's going to get drafted. There's Brett Heggie could go late in the draft, and they've had some good individual performances. It just doesn't seem to come together all at the same time in a game for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, for whatever reason, it does not come together in a game. All right, let's let's go to the real talk of this and why pro days don't mean anything. And and I'll ask you this: Did you learn anything on Wednesday outside of Marco Wilson being? you know, a combine warrior and putting up numbers. Did you learn anything about anybody that you couldn't have watched on tape or seen with your own eyes last year? No, nothing at all. I mean, it's just a bunch of guys doing – a lot of the stuff they do isn't even stuff that would even translate over to a game setting because how often in a game is Kyle Pitts going to be running 40 yards in a straight line with nobody in his way? Right. <laughs> Who cares? You know, yeah. uh, that's the thing. And, you know, Kadarius Tony, how many times is he actually going to run a straight line 40 yards? Or, Never. or have to go 11 feet ahead. Right? That, that one seems the most useless to me. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and I was doing a radio spot yesterday, and, and they asked me, you know, like, what did you learn about it? And I'm like, nothing. Like, you know, I guess the 80-inch wingspan for Kyle Pitts was something I didn't know, but if I watched him play last year, Anything in his range, he caught. So, like, do I did I need Pro Day to tell me, you know, Kyle Pitts was a beast? No. Did I need Pro Day to tell me Kadarius Tony's a beast? No. And did I really need to see Kyle Trask run a 40-yard dash? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was kind of funny, too, to see some of the 
national media guys that were like just amazed by how well Pitts was doing yesterday and just like we've seen this the last three years where have you been right and, and, and again it's like what what did we learn about Kyle Pitts uh, you know that we couldn't have you know I mean the LSU pro day was going on at the same time we all knew Jamar Chase was a freak yeah guy has the you know the, the most touchdowns ever in a single season by a receiver that's all I need to know you know, and we go to, you know, even go to Ohio State with Justin Fields. Justin Fields running a 4-4 meant nothing to me. I know he's fast. You know, and people are, you know, are knocking on Mac Jones because he underthrew a couple passes in pro day. Turn the tape on. Turn the tape on. The guy makes every throw out there. Kyle Trask makes every throw out there. Pro days to me are a waste. And if an NFL team drafts a player strictly off his pro day, his job should be lost. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure most general managers already have a good idea who they're going to draft before any of this even happens. I'm not, I don't know how much of a factor this even is, except for maybe some of the guys that are on the border of getting drafted or going undrafted maybe could sway somebody to take them in the seventh round. But for your bigger-named guys like Kyle Pitts, it really doesn't do anything. I think, if, if anything, like you said, it's for those lower guys. And if anything, a pro day can maybe hurt you. But then I, I go back to, okay, let's let's say let's say Kadarius Tony ran a four four five. Would that have changed your input on him being fast? No. <laughs> the only way you could, yeah, the only way you could really ruin it would be like Jalen Tabor a couple years ago, where you run like a four seven or something. Oh. That, that was the only thing you could do to ruin your draft stock. But but even with just completely awful. even with T's though, did we all kind of not know that Jalen was slow? I mean, you know, I'm saying like we we never seen Jalen, you know. So I, again, I don't I don't know. And then you know, with with quarterback play, what is Kyle Trask ever going to roll out and just throw a ball off his front foot on, on a on a post on a corner route like that? I mean, not very often. So like a, a lot of it is, yeah, a lot of it's just crazy to me. I, I mean, again, do I is pro day cool? Sure. Hey, it gave us something to write about on the on the message board yesterday. It gave us something to talk about for a couple hours. So, hey, it's cool for me. I enjoy it. Anytime I get to watch football, I enjoy it. I, I just think that it's a, a little over uh, overrated a little bit. But uh, Mullen talked afterwards. What what did kind of Dan Mullen say on uh, on Wednesday after Pro Day? He just – the biggest thing I took away from him is that he just thought it was a really big day for the program because, I mean – for the first time in several years, you had a bunch of big-time performers. You didn't just have the one Jawan Taylor or a Vernon Hargraves or somebody of that caliber, and then a bunch of nobodies. This, I mean, you had Kyle Pitts out here doing things that hadn't been done by tight ends in a combine setting in 20 years. Then you had Marco Wilson running sub 4440 and jumping out of the gym, basically. <laughs> and then you got Tony out here doing his thing still. So it was just, he thought it was a big day for the program because now the younger players on the roster can see what it's going to take for them to get to that point, or at least they know what the final result looks like. They just have to figure out how to get there. And then, of course, he said some, He said what you expect him to say about how it could attract future recruits to want to come to Florida because they know they're going to get developed and they see what they're going to become. I mean, that's kind of what every coach is going to say, but he, he seemed very pleased with what took place yesterday. You know, 30, 31 of the 32 teams were there. The Rams were the only team that uh, that wasn't there. You had several uh, head coaches there. 
You had several uh, coordinators there. I mean, you know, it was nice to see Urban Meyer back in the building. Uh, Brian Johnson was back in the building. Uh, uh, Brian uh, DeBall from uh, the Bills. Yeah, Nussmeyer was there. Uh, you had a lot of guys that were there, and it's always good to have those guys around the program. Good to see a lot of former players. Uh, Michael P. Ryan was back. Freddie Swain was back. Hammond was back. I seen Tyree Cleveland and Fred Johnson. Um, so a lot of former players were back uh, there, and it's always good to see that. And like Dan Mullen said, it's good to have that national attention. I mean, you had three hours of free publicity on the SEC Network yesterday. Now, granted, a lot of the prospects were in school, but they probably watched it on Rewind. The SEC Network will probably only show it 70 billion times again. Um, the quote, though, about Kyle Trask stood out to me. And Do, do you remember that quote? Not off the top of my head. I don't know which one you're referring about to. The, uh, about him having a long career. Yeah, he said he, yeah, he, said he thought he was that he might not be the high, highest rated guy right now. Like some places have him the seventh best quarterback prospect in this draft. But he said 10, 15 years from now, you might look back and he's one of the best quarterbacks to come from this class. Right. I, I, I'm a diehard Falcons fan. Diehard Falcons fan. Usually I'm pretty honest in saying, hey, I don't want them to take, you know, this person or that person. Uh, but if uh, the second, I mean, the third round comes and Kyle Trask is on the board and, and, and he can sit behind Matt Ryan for two years. Cool, cool. I'll say this, and this may not be popular. Matt Jones and Kyle Trask both will have long careers. Trevor Lawrence may. He may. He probably will. But I think that after those two guys, I mean, after Trevor, Mac and Kyle probably have the longest careers outside out of this draft class. That's more than Justin Fields. Justin Fields more of a runner. He's more injury prone. Uh, the BYU kid and then uh, Trey Lance from North Dakota or South Dakota, whatever it is. I think he'll have. I think both of those guys will have more or longer careers than them. That's just that's just me. I I think both of those guys are are great NFL quarterbacks down the road. Yeah, I would I would agree, and I think for Kyle, it would probably be best to go to a place kind of like Atlanta or. New Orleans or Tampa Bay, someplace where they've kind of got an older quarterback that's on his way out, and then he can kind of transition into that offense in a couple of years. Like, I think him following Drew Brees in New Orleans would be, I mean, they're kind of similar players in a way. So that would, I think, maybe be the best fit for him. Yeah, I mean, and we all want to say Tom Brady. We all want to say these guys in the next Tom Brady. Right. There's, no, there's no Tom Brady. Tom Brady's a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. quarterback. He's the best quarterback of all time. I don't care what anybody says. But when you're talking about, if I, I'll, I'll, I'll say Matt Ryan, for instance. Matt Ryan gets a lot of heat because of not winning a Super Bowl. But Matt Ryan will go down as having one of the best careers stat-wise in, in history. That's what these two guys do for me. Um, so it'll be interesting. And then it'll be interesting to see Kyle Pitts. You know, you know one's going to be Trevor Lawrence. It looks like the Jets at two are probably going to take a quarterback. Uh, San Francisco trading up to three, probably take a quarterback. My Falcons sit at four. Do they go quarterback or do they go a guy like Kyle Pitts? There's no doubt in my mind Kyle Pitts is the best player in the draft outside of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, he, he's – He's the best player in this draft. He's going to go number four, whether it's the Falcons or somebody trading up to take the Falcons' spot. Somebody is taking him at number four. Where where do you kind of see you know the rest of it going? Do you see Kadarius going late the first round? Where do you kind of see Kyle Trask? See, Tony probably 25 to 
to 30 in the first round, maybe. And then Trask, he'll, he'll go on day two to somebody. Either somebody will get kind of desperate for a quarterback and they'll take him round two, or he'll fall to round three. But he's there. Somebody's going to see what Gator fans have got to see the last couple of years, and they'll, they'll take him in the second or third round and groom him for a year or two until he's ready to take over, hopefully. I think what you said is, is, is accurate because I think teams are going to get desperate. Let's just say, let, let's just say Kyle Pitts drops to five. And and and, the, and you get a run of quarterbacks where they go one two three four, okay? You have Matt. Well, I say Mac Jones. I mean, there's talk San Francisco is going to draft him at three, which would be bizarre, but whatever. Uh, I mean, I I do think he's better than Trey Lance, but still. Um, let's just say they go one through four. Then your next tier quarterbacks are Kyle Trask and whoever didn't get drafted in the top four. There's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. The Panthers need a quarterback. The Patriots need a quarterback. Um, but there's a lot of teams around the the NFL that need quarterbacks. Like you said, do they get desperate and trade up to take a, a Kyle Trask, to trade up to take that other quarterback, just hoping that someone doesn't take them before? Uh, so do you get a run on quarterbacks where maybe you have six quarterbacks going in the, in the, in the first two rounds? Yeah, and he just, for whatever reason, I just get the feeling that Kyle Trask is ending up in New England. This, he just has... The Bill Belichick special written all over him. Have you not seen everybody the? Else, uh, everybody else outsmarts themselves, and Belichick ends up just taking the best, one of the best players available in round two. That's what he's known for. Have you seen the joke? You know, I, I know you've seen the the whole meme of of uh, Bill Belichick shaking his head when Matt Jones missed the throw. Well, now the uh, conspiracy theory out there is that uh, Bill Belichick told Matt Jones not to look good, uh, so that he'll drop to New England. I mean. They've done far more suspicious things to gain a competitive advantage before, so, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of those two do up, end up in New England. Um, so, all right, right, let's. Uh, that was a positive segment. Let's get ready for the negative segment. Grab your uh, your wine or whatever you drink and, or, or your headset and get your nap time ready and, and your blood pressure medicine because uh, things are going to get a little wild on here. Uh, Mike White doesn't have a basketball team anymore. No. I mean, I think, what, four transfers in an NBA declaration? Uh, well, two. Two NBA. Yeah, well, well one it, that's definitely staying and one that's probably coming back. But Yeah. Still, it's, uh, six guys. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at this roster here, and you're thinking there's not a lot left. Uh, it, it, I, this, is, this, is where, this is where I look at it, Ethan, and, and – I may be wrong, and there was a stat that you know a lot of these teams that are still left in the uh, 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 tournament in the Final Four here, you know, have a lot of transfers. Um, UCLA, you know, Houston, Baylor, all, all those schools have a lot of transfers, and, and obviously the transfer portal now makes it different. It just you feel like this team is now going to have to just rebuild in general, and you wonder. You wonder how. I mean, for instance, a guy like Noah Locke. The guy is a, a Gator through and through, and is transferring. Now you're going to have to. You're, you're telling me a transfer from Furman, and I, and I don't know if it's going to be a Furman guy, but a transfer from a, a mid-major is going to be better than a guy who's a three-year SEC starter. To, to me, Ethan, that's just what blows my mind of how they think next year's class or next year's team full of pretty much transfers is supposed to be better than a, a, a team that is full of SEC starters. That 
that other than the X's and O's, which is people like to talk about Mike White not being good at game management or X's and O's, and some of that is warranted criticism. But the next biggest thing that I've noticed that's wrong with this program right now is just the roster management doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, they've in Mike White's tenure, six years now, I think I think Trey Mann became the first player that he recruited out of high school to finish his college career at Florida in six years. So they're basically feels like they're trying to play the Duke Kentucky one and done model, but with worse players. And that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When the Gator program was under at its best under Billy Donovan, you saw senior classes that were had some good players, but also some players that were flawed and didn't get drafted early in their careers or go to schools like Kentucky or Kansas. And then by the time they were seniors, they were able to beat other teams, not because they had more raw talent than them, but because they had good players who played together and knew how to play the game. And now it just feels like you just – it doesn't even feel like a program anymore. It just feels like every March and April, it's let's throw together next year's team and hope for the best. And that strategy just – it's not going to win anything. I'm not even sure what the long-term goal is here. Especially when you have – a coach who struggles with an identity of offense and an identity of the of the program. Um, let's just go through this. So, uh, Samson's back. Darugi's back. Um, Keontae Johnson's highly questionable. Colin Castleton is, you know, 50-50, uh, probably coming back. Um, and you have Tyree Appleby and Scotty Lewis uh, in – uh, in Neil's lane, has Jason Jason Jatobo? He, he he's, he's back. Yeah, he's he hasn't back. Said anything. Okay, he's back. so you have Lane Jatobo, Lewis Appleby, Castleton, and Daruji and Sampson back. Uh, Appleby is, you know, yeah, he's he's good at times, turnover prone at times. Who's your guy next year? Mike White's basketball team does not do well with having to go through the post in Colin Castleton. We learned that this year, that Mike White likes to push the pace and go. So, I don't know. And I'll ask you this, Ethan. Is it Mike White just lost control of the program, or is this a plan? It feels like he's lost control. I mean, there's just – there's no – like thread that runs through any of their offseason moves. It just seems like just random chaos happening. And then you look at the way they lost in the NCAA tournament, since we haven't had a chance to talk about it since it happened. I mean, your best player takes, I think, two shots over the final 17 minutes or something, and you just stop pushing the tempo for no reason at all. It just, it doesn't, a lot of the stuff that is going on just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense or, have any, there's not even a way you can see this turning around. It just keeps going on this never-ending spiral to nowhere. It's the same way they lose every single time. They lose. Yeah, I, I, Go ahead. I knew exactly how they were going to lose in the NCAA tournament. They were going to win the first game, look good, play well for about a half in the second game, and then blow it. That's how they've lost pretty much the last three NCAA tournament games that they've lost. It's the same recipe. It's the same recipe. They get a lead and they sit on it. Score 100. Yeah. Score 100. And everybody 
ever remembers the one Elite Eight run where Chioza made that miracle shot in the Sweet 16. What people don't remember about that game is they had an 11-point lead over Wisconsin with like six minutes left in regulation, and they did the same thing and blew it in there and just got bailed out by a once-in-a-lifetime type of shot. Right. So really every NCAA tournament they've lost or should have lost because of the exact same mistake, and they're just not – it doesn't show any signs of getting better anytime soon. The Virginia Tech game should have never went to overtime. Uh, yep. The Tennessee game in the SEC tournament. They were controlling the game early. What are you doing? What, what, what are you doing in, the, in these games? You know, and, and it's the same thing over and over and over. They have zero half-court offense. They, they have no rhythm. And, and, you know, Eric and I have talked about it, and Eric does the stats. Eric says, you know, in, in the NCAA tournament in that second round, they played their worst lineup for more minutes in the game than they played their best lineup. Now, I, I love Eric to death. Eric's a smart guy. But you can't tell me that Eric knows those numbers and Mike White doesn't know those numbers. Yeah, I mean, even if he doesn't have somebody on the bench like telling him all these advanced numbers, you can just tell by watching it with your eyes that that lineup was not working. Right. And it was going to cost them the game, and it just – Kept going with it. It it's it's mind boggling. And listen, I'm not on the I, I'm not the person who says fire this person. Fire. I love Mike White. I think Mike White is a fabulous person. I think Mike White had a tremendous tremendous amount of stress this year with Keontae Johnson. I cannot imagine what he went through, what his team went through with Keontae Johnson. I, I can't. The the COVID stuff. I can't. But the problem with the whole situation and the, the issue I have is I have not seen improvements in his in-game coaching from year one to now. And it's the same old stuff. It, it's the same old way of losing. It's the same old way of just looking pathetic in games. And then the next game you look amazing. But it, it, it's the most inconsistent team. I, I say it all the time. It depends on what side of the bed they wake up on, how they're going to play. And at the University of Florida, it should not be that way. At any high level, it should not be that way of two different teams. If you're going to push the ball, then you have to push the ball for uh, 40 minutes of the game and go. Because you know once you slow it down, you're going to lose. Everybody in the world knows that. We don't even have to be basketball smart. I am furthest thing from basketball smart, and I know when they slow it down, they're in trouble. And his explanation for slowing it down didn't really make you feel a whole lot better either because he basically said we wanted to slow it down so our guys could spend more of their energy on defense. So either, A, you have a terrible strength and conditioning program that your players can't play both ends of the court for 40 minutes, or you basically just sent a message to your team that what we do on offense from here on doesn't matter, just play defense. And, and either way, that's not conducive to winning. And C, it tells you you have no depth because all your depth keeps transferred. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, uh, you know, the only guy that was that didn't play, and I say the only, he was their best player, was Keontae Johnson. But but still, that didn't mean Quetz Glover didn't play at all in, in the NCAA tournament. He's transferred. Why'd you recruit him? Okay, you know, all these guys. Scotty Lewis is supposed to be this phenomenal player, and he can't put it together. He's not even playing in big minutes. You know, Daruji fouls three-point guys, so he doesn't play, you know, down the stretch because you are you got him in the doghouse because of that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Recruit better depth. Keep your depth. Yeah, I mean, that's – it feels like they're playing with a smaller roster than other teams at times because you have guys 
like a Jason Jatobo or a Quest Glover that are on the bench but don't really do anything. So you are essentially playing with an eight-man roster when you get to big games like that. Yeah, I mean, Samson comes in, and, you know, and at times he looks okay, but every time he gets the ball, he feels like it's hot potato and he's got to shoot it real quick. And, yeah. you know, I mean, cool, whatever. I mean, that's that's you do what you got to do, big dog. But it, 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 you're right, it, it, it does. And, and and you wonder the development of this team. And, you know, you, you have uh, Jordan Mincy going to Jacksonville. Uh, he was kind of the offensive guy. Well, it, it, it's time to get you a guy to come in and get things going, but he was also one of your better recruiters. So uh, not the best recipe, and, you know, people continue to ask me what's going on. Your answer is as good as mine because the way I look at it is the program has lost control. Yeah, and, I mean, the player development, I think you could look at maybe and say there were two players during Mike White's senior so far other than the players that he inherited from Billy Donovan. There have been two players he's recruited that have gotten better from the time they first got to Mike White to now, and that would be Trey Mann and Keontae Johnson. Other than that, everybody else has either stayed the same or they've gotten worse. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that anybody is, uh, you know, has. I mean, Scotty Lewis has declined uh, for sure. He's unplayable now, basically down the stretch because he his defense isn't even as good as what it was last year, and he just an air ball machine on offense. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, and, I mean, we heard the talk all year about Tyree Appleby was this amazing point guard and everything else, and at times he is, but at times he's just out of control. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, uh, Ethan, it's uh, it's gut check time in, uh, in Gainesville. If Mike White's returning, it needs to be on a short leash, and it needs to be with some guaranteed, guaranteed um, promise to change and to, and to get right. But at the same time, you kind of are what you are. The the only thing that I say is this, and that is, Mike White, if you if you truly are the guy who wants to just run and run and run and run, then just run and run and run and, and don't think anything else about anything else. And that's what he was at Louisiana Tech, which is what doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's kind of like... In football, you'll see a guy who's a really good offensive coordinator get a head coaching job, and then delegate the play calling duties to someone else. Yeah. Even like do what got you to this job to begin with. Right, exactly. Do do what got you there. And I don't know, uh, Ethan. Any anything else you want to touch on? Well, let, we'll we'll touch on it. Uh, we're we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, baseball plays uh, tonight against South Carolina. You're listening to this on Friday, so you already know the outcome of the uh, Ole Miss, um, not South Carolina. Oh, Ole Miss. Yeah, South Carolina yep. last week. Yeah, I was. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we're, that's what I wanted to do. We'll talk about that. Ole Miss is on Thursday, Friday, Saturday due to the Easter uh, holiday on Sunday. Uh, so you already know the uh, the Thursday, but uh, uh, sh- shake up in the rotation. Friday, Saturday, guys are sitting on the bench. Yeah, it sounds like we might get to see the opener strategy that's used by several teams in MLB finally trickle its way down to college uh franco aleman's gonna make his first start of the year on thursday night so those of you listening to this you already know how that went and then sounds like tommy mace will come in in relief maybe the third or fourth inning and then same thing on friday night where christian scott will get the start before jack leftwich comes in so i mean we'll see how this works i'm not generally a fan of this kind of a strategy 
just because, I mean, what happens if you get into a one-run game in the ninth inning and you've already used Alamon, you can't use Scott because you're saving him for the next day, and then Mace is done for the day. I mean, you, you, using your bottom of the bullpen guys in the most pressure-packed situations potentially. And then it's just, it works the best in MLB when you have like a left-handed opener followed by a hard-throwing righty long relief guy because then the other team has to decide whether they want to put their lefty lineup in and just not have the matchups in their favor for a couple innings and then be set up for the longer guy or do they go for the advantage early and sacrifice the bulk guy having the handedness advantage versus them what the Gators are doing where you have Alamon and Mace and then Scott and Lethwich you're basically putting two similar guys back to back so I'm not really sure what it's trying to accomplish other than maybe just shaking things up and hoping that it sparks something in the pitching staff and in the dugout that hasn't been clicking the last week or so. I hate it. I hate the opener. Can't stand it. Uh, And and the the thing that bothers me more than anything is Tommy Mason, Zach Leftwich hadn't really been your problem. I mean, you know, had they been ace caliber, you know, for uh, high draft picks in the MLB like we all thought they would? Maybe not, but they had not been bad. It's your defense is terrible. You're, you can't hit the broad side of a barn. Judd Fabian, 13 strikeouts against South Carolina last weekend? Jeez, man. I mean, come on. Uh, I think you need a, I, I think you need a shake-up there. Um, I, I don't know what it is. You know, some people are critical of the team. And I, I just think that they're not focused. I'll be honest. I just think they're not focused. Um, I, I, I don't. Baseball is a team game. Is you know is is much people do not believe it's a team game. It's a team game, and they're not playing as a team right now. Yep. They just it's kind of like basketball. What we're talking about the just inconsistency. There just isn't one phase of the game that consistently does anything well. They start the year for the first five weeks. The starting pitching was really good, other than you had one poor start from Hunter Barco. But other than that, their first five starts, you could consistently depend on them to give you six or seven really quality innings. And the offense was averaging seven or eight runs a game. And it was just a matter of whether the bullpen would be able to hold it together on a given night and get you the win. Then last week at South Carolina, it was the complete opposite. The starters, I mean, Mace made it through four. I think Leftwich went four and a third. Barco gave up four home runs in five innings. The offense hit like 170 something for the series yeah. struck out a million times, but the bullpen looked much better. Right. It's just, there's not anything that you can depend on going into. Like we know this is part of our game's going to be good and we can lean on this to get some wins. It's just, you never know what part of the team's going to show up on a given game. Florida has struck out 206 times on the year already. Um, Judd Fabian has struck out 40 times out of 96 at-bats. Yeah. In, I think he's played in 21 of the 24 games. That's, I mean, 20 strikeouts a game. 23 games. He's played in okay. all 23 games um, so far, and he has 40 strikeouts, almost two yeah. a game. You're just not going to win very much with that. And, again, like I said – is the pitching great right now with Mace and Leftwich? No, it's not. But those are your two dudes. You need those two dudes to set the pace. And and, and maybe the opener works out. Sully's a lot smarter than me. 
Um, I watch a lot of baseball, though, and I, I feel like I'm pretty baseball smart. Uh, I wonder how those guys are going to be able to even take that role. Uh, you know, starters have a routine. Usually they're out 40 minutes before, you know, jogging, stretching, all that stuff. How, how do they even react to it? You know, is it going to be a complete disaster? I mean, I, we don't know. I mean, these guys haven't done it before, um, come in as an, uh, after an opener to be a starter. So there's a lot of questions, and the thing about it is, is Ole Miss isn't the team to play with. No. I mean, number three in the country, undefeated in SEC play. It's This is one of those moves where it feels like, it's high risk, high reward, because if it works out, you got to stick with it the rest of the year. You can't go back to starting Mason Leftwich because you're not going to mess up something that's working. And if it backfires in Sully's face, you basically have to admit that you're wrong, and that could cause your play, your pitchers to lose trust of you, and then you've really got a problem on your hands. So, I mean, it, he's, Sully has earned the right to be given the benefit of the doubt. He's made some moves pitching-wise that – didn't always seem popular at first, but ended up working out in the end and just have to hope for the Gators' sake that this is another one of them. Yeah, I mean, like you say, he's earned the right. I mean, he's he's a national champion coach, and, you know, he's he's done it before. So, you know, he, he has earned the right. Um, he's, he's definitely earned the right. It's just it's a head-scratcher to me, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. That's all I can say. Softball did uh, go out and sweep uh, LSU last weekend. LSU's pretty solid team um, overall, one of the best hitting teams, and went out and swept them. So a uh, big series for them against Georgia this weekend. Uh, gymnastics are up in Athens for the first uh, part of the uh, NCAA regional. Uh, didn't do as well in the SEC tournament, but they're there. So, uh, Ethan, if that's all you got, we're going to get out of here, and uh, we'll be back next week. I uh, hope you guys liked it. Let us know if there's anything uh, we can improve on, as uh, Ethan and I will be uh, knocking these podcasts here out on a weekly basis, getting video here uh, soon. But uh, we just wanted to knock out an audio version uh, this week. We do have a – I guess we could talk about Jahari Rogers entering the transfer portal. There you go. Go ahead. Give me some. Well, I mean, it's kind of a – a surprising move, I guess, just because he's a former top 100 recruit. He's only been here for a year, and he got some first-team reps from what we got to see this spring. So I guess he was just one of those, either he just wanted to go back home to Texas really badly, or he just was one of those guys who wanted to be a starter this year. And when it became apparent that wasn't going to be the case, he just decided to leave. Yeah, a couple things I had heard about him was just that he was kind of going to be just a guy. And that, you know, while he's getting some first-team reps, he was just kind of be going to be a guy and that they didn't believe he'd ever be a true SEC starter. Um, you know, he was more of an athlete coming out of high school. She'll try to polish that up. So the only problem there is it leaves you with five corners. And um, it leaves you with some uh, some serious depth issues at that corner spot. And, um, you know, you're going to have to rely on some guys. Uh, you're going to have to hope Elam and Jason Marshall and um, – Jaden Hill and those three guys can really just kind of take the, the, the minutes right now next uh, next year, the snaps, because you don't feel good about your depth after those three guys. I mean, as long as they stay healthy, everything will be fine. But if like, Elam goes down or Marshall, and that, now you're getting into some pretty big issues because you're looking at a possibility of a guy coming off major injury in Ethan Pouncey or Avery Helm, who wasn't the most highly regarded guy coming out of high school, 
and still, and still coming back from an ACL injury himself, yeah. and and it's, uh, or you go back to like the Cotton Bowl where you're playing walk-ons. Yeah, or you move Trey Dean back out there, which I mean the sample size on that isn't great. Yeah. Maybe you're hitting the transfer portal for some depth there. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, all right, Ethan, listen, we will get back uh, next week. As always, uh, follow us at GatorCountry.com. Uh, myself and Andrew Spivey GC. Ethan, throw your Twitter handle. It's at EHughes97. There you go. Uh, follow all of us. We'll be back next week. And uh, make sure to hit us up on the message board and let us know how we did here. As always, we appreciate it, guys. Thank you.